Listening Dog Media. DJ. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is How to DJ. How to DJ. I drove into Bangalore, the country of my mum and dad's birth, and my face was all over the city. There was a moment there where they kind of, our boys on the telly. This weird thing called music. You know, what is it? It's 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 spiritual, it's religious, it, it can travel faster than the speed of light. A podcast exploring life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of much-loved DJs where I ask them to pick five questions from a box of 45. And for this episode, award-winning Radio Royalty. We won a Sony for that. And I think that's when you start to get noticed by other people in the industry a little bit more. Your, your name is on this list, who hears this, let's have a listen to them, da 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 da. A DJ who presented the biggest commercial breakfast show outside of London. Our show was incredibly dominant and number one in, in, in all demographics. Someone who's taken DJing in her kitchen on Facebook to live events. Stephanie Hurst, welcome to How to DJ. Oh, Chris, this is a joy. I had discovered this podcast a while ago and like I've binged it all because it's like, well, it's just talking about what I love, which is radio and the craft of it as well. Yeah, well, strap yourself in, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> Before heading into the box of questions, what is your very first memory of radio? My very first memory of radio. Can I show you what my very first memory of radio is? Yeah. Oh. That. That is what I call the magic box. And I got this ghetto, well, it's not even a ghetto blaster really, because to me, ghetto blasters were huge, something you'd stick on your shoulder that was like 15 times bigger than this. But essentially, it's a cassette radio. If you open it up, eject, there you go, and stick your cassette in, and there you go, and hit play. And this thing I call the magic box. Now, it could play cassettes, but what it allowed me to do was listen to my local radio station. And I think radio, and I've said this before, I think radio is one of your first freedoms in the fact that you finally can make choices of your own musically what you're going to listen to. So whether that is, you know, your local radio station or whether you were really getting into alternative music, you discovered Peel late at night, or maybe you pointed your radio in a certain direction and you managed to pick up the American Forces Network or World Service. This thing I call the magic box. It's the radio. And this is my very first memory. I got it when I was seven. And a dog as well called Lassie. <laughs> what was the appeal of radio, not the dog? The appeal of radio? I don't know. I, I just... I found it mesmerising. My dad was in bands when I was a child growing up. So I'd, I'd grown up around music around me. Although we didn't have a, a big record collection or anything like that. We had a, a, a selection of my mum's 45s from the 60s. I distinctly remember a warped copy of Ichiku Park by the Small Faces. And Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water album that I apparently at the age of four or three or something managed to put on some kind of, there was, there was a low bit in our garden that had a, like a nail. It was like a mini fence or something. And I stuck it on that and went round it with a nail or a brick or something. So music, the music that I heard was when I'd go and see my dad on a Sunday matinee or something that we went to. So I wouldn't see him in the working men's club on a night time, but I'd, that's the kind of music that I heard. And so I always kind of, melodies always kind of hooked me before the lyrics did. And then when I got this radio, that was the thing that I was like, oh my gosh, there's this thing called radio. And who are these guys inside the radio? And what do they look like? And how do you get that job? Because that sounds like fun. So to me, I think that was the thing that, that drew me in more than anything. 
maybe it is only in retrospect, but I think that you, you just talked about a voice coming out of these little speakers. Yeah. I think I did realise fairly early on when I became obsessed with radio that it was incredible that someone was talking directly to me. Yes, yeah. It's the one-to-one medium, isn't it? And I think that's what I've always... I've never been on the air and gone, hello, everybody. Because it's to me, it's one-to-one. I'm talking... This microphone that I'm talking into now, this to me is a person... And it's, it's weird to explain that to anybody who doesn't work in the medium of radio. You imagining this inanimate object, which is a microphone, that it's a person. But to me, it is. And I'm, I'm just talking one-to-one because it's, it's an honour, it's a privilege for that person to let you into their world. And I never, ever, ever take that for granted. And I'm really comfortable in my own skin in, in, in life every single day, but I'm more comfortable with a pair of headphones on sitting behind this thing, which is a little bit... I think that everyone who works in radio, they're a little bit odd. We're all a bit weird. All of us. I'm going to take a good guess that you made radio shows in your bedroom. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. When my dad wasn't in the band, I'd commandeer his equipment. So we'd have some tape recorders and my dad fixed TVs for a living as well. So he used to have bits of surplus equipment around. He had a really good Shure SM58 microphone, which was his stage mic. So I used to nick that. Then there was this, it was made by a company called WEM, called a copycat, a WEM copycat. And basically it was like a little echo machine. So I'd rig that up. We had an old Grundig reel-to-reel machine that was my grandfather's. Now, he died before I was born, so that thing was kicking around. So I could record onto quarter-inch tape, but it wasn't easy to kind of edit. And I never had any sellotape or, pro- well, you know, the proper sticky tape until I started working in my local radio station. So I was in my little studio, you know, with two turntables. and Because all I wanted for birthdays and Christmases was equipment. That's all I wanted, a mixer. Tandy, which became Maplin, became a little Aladdin's cave for me. I was just in there. Every time I'd walk in, I'd be like, I want that mixer. Oh, that microphone. Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I? And it was literally just an incredible world for me just to kind of be in there and, and want that for Christmas. So I got a little mixer, which I've still got to this very day. I've got every piece of equipment that I had in my, I could basically reset up recreate my childhood radio bedroom. What were the shows like? Awful. <laughs> I've got nothing to say. Simon Mayo said something in an interview once, and it's I, I've repeated this many a time when I've, when I've coached people or I've spoken at, at, you know, at student radio days. Simon Mayo once said, you've got nothing to say on the radio until you're around 25. Because by 25, you've probably had a few relationships, you may have been to university, you, you start to get opinions on things by that age and you, you're slightly more informed about the world. But when I was first starting out as a kid, I'd got nothing to say. I was just reading smash hits, maybe the enemy or anything like that, if I picked that up, because I tried to be cool at one point and I've never been cool. <laughs> but I, start, I bought the enemy for a short period of time because I thought it would make me cool. To me, it was getting from one song to another. because. To me, I guess as I've grown older, I've started to understand if you, it's like if you're an actor and you get off script, you get off book, once you get the words locked into your mind and your head, that's when you can start to play with the character. Les Dawson couldn't play the piano badly without learning how to play it brilliantly in the first place. And I've always thought that if you're in a radio studio, you've got to learn how to use this equipment. This can make you sound amazing. If you just sit behind it and you're terrified of it, 
you're not going to get the best out of yourself if you really learn how to work this thing. And it's not that scary. You just ask the right people and they'll show you or you start to play with it and, you know, do what I did several times and just took myself off air because I pressed something that I didn't know what it was. <laughs> Won't touch that again. <laughs> when did you first go into a radio studio? I was nine years old and Radio Air, my local radio station, were doing, I think it must have been their fourth or fifth birthday or something. And they were doing tours and I think it was 25p to go in and, and have a look around the studios. And it was a nice sunny day. There was a fun fair outside. And I asked my parents to take me in, to which they said, no, we're just going to sit in the sunshine. You go and queue. And honestly, Chris, the queue was like 400 years long. So it's 25p, paid that, got inside, and then I queued forever. And just as I was about to enter the studio, they stopped me and went, it's okay, don't worry, you can come in with the next group of people, which means I had about five or ten minutes stood in front of Studio One Door at Radio Air for anyone who's been in Radio Air studios. There's a certain smell in that corridor of like hot air conditioning. It's, there's a certain something, there's just a smell in that corridor. And at the side of me was Studio One and directly in front of me was Studio Four. And at the age of nine, I decided I, I'm working here by hook or by crook. I don't know how but I'm going to work here. So I used to ring them all of the time. The phone number was because I was outside of Leeds because I was near Barnsley. So it was 0532-455-362. And I used to ring that constantly. And I got banned from calling the radio station. <laughs> Not by my parents, by the actual radio station. They said, can you stop ringing? Because I rang for everything. The number was given out and I was on. That was it. it was, there it is. Ringing again. I can still remember the, the Radio Shropshire phoning number. That was 01743248321. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric Smith did the breakfast show on Stropshire, didn't he? He did. He did, yeah, because he was on Radio Air originally. I think he's from Barnsley. Eric gave me my very first job on air on the wow. radio effort. Yeah, on Radio Shropshire, I did the market report, which was telling people how much sheep had been sold for at auction. <laughs> and how much was your average sheep? How much did they go for? I'd never really fully understood <laughs> the numbers. So it would just be, you know, three cade lambs, Nine or something. Because <laughs> I, I was like, is that a whole lamb or is that like a leg? Or? a leg or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really understand what I was saying, but I was on the radio and it felt amazing. It does, doesn't it? The, when you f First time you hear your voice coming back to you with a pair of headphones on, it's like, oh, what's that? I remember when I got to Capital London and I remember being in the, the old, but where, the, where they are now, actually, the old back studio, which was the, it was an old Clyde desk. The microphone was on a pulley system. And I remember I'd pre it's when I was doing the chart, I'd pre-recorded the, the 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 top bit in my little studio here via ISDN. And then I had to pick up off the back. And I remember opening the mic and then saying the words. And I honestly the processing on 95 point gray literally blew my head off. And <laughs> there was a little damp patch, I think, around me. I was like, oh my gosh. But when you hear it processed in your headphones, it's like the most exciting thing in the world. What was the journey to to doing that show like? I joined Galaxy, so I, I'd got to Radio Air and all that kind of stuff. And it, it, there was a certain point where I was leaving a station in, in East Yorkshire, Viking FM, where I did the breakfast show there. That was, that was my first breakfast show. And then that was such a success, and, and we won a Sony for that. And I think that's when you start to get noticed by other people in the industry a little bit more. Your, your name is on this list. Who is this? Let's have a listen to them. Da, 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 da. 
And that's when Galaxy came knocking. But there was also, if I had have stayed at Viking, I've since learned that JK and Joel would have gone to Radio 1 sooner and I would have taken over JK and Joel at Key 103 because they'd left Viking to go to Key. So that's how it was going to work. So if I'd have gone to Key, I probably would have never have got the chart. But I went to Galaxy and a wonderful guy called Pete Simmons basically got me an audition, which was in the Alan Partridge Memorial Suite at Unique Studio. So where Series 2 of Partridge is filmed in that radio studio, that's where I did my pilot. And I thought, I'm going to get to sit behind the desk. I'm going to get to press all these buttons. No, I just went in the booth opposite where Dave Clifton says, you know, all of the things, they have the two way to each other, check the small print in your contract, all that kind of stuff. Dale Winton, God rest his soul, had just been in to record Pick of the Pops. I remember him wearing some nice aftershave because all I could smell was Dale. (laughs) And I went in to do this pilot and I wasn't pressing my own buttons. So it was okay. And then a a guy called Mick Meadows, he got in touch and, and said... I've heard you pilot. It's okay. Do you want to come to Capital and do a, do a proper one? So I said, yeah. So I arrived in and Foxy was opposite me on air, on drive. And he said something like, at last a proper DJ is going to be piloting. Because I think they'd had a series of pop stars doing it, essentially. And I think Foxy wanted someone who was, you know, who could press the buttons as well. And I did it. And then they, they called me back about a week later and said, what are you doing a week on Sunday? Fox is doing Pop Idol or something. And I sat in for him. And then when I actually got the call to do the gig full time, I was on the toilet. <laughs> Trap two at Galaxy. How literally. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine, can't you? So, uh, yeah. And they said to me, it was Pete again. Pete Simmons said, you can't tell anyone. So I remember walking up the corridor at Galaxy, literally beaming like a Cheshire cat, thinking I've got the network chart. How was the first show? It went by in a in a in a heartbeat. It was like because I'd been depping for a while, so I understood how it sounded. I understood the mechanics of the show and doing a chart. And I'd done when I worked at the Pulse. I'd done West Yorkshire's new official countdown, snappy title. And then when I went to Hallam to do Drive when I was twenty one. We had a 49% reach. It's crazy. I did the Hallam FM Hit 30, another snappy title. So I'd, I, I knew how a chart worked. And I, my chart hero was Bruno Brooks. So whilst all my friends had, you know, tapes of all of the songs from the late 80s, I just had tapes of Bruno and no songs. It was just Bruno. That's all. So, yeah, but, but then started to find out more about other chart DJs and especially Alan Freeman, of course, and, you know, I guess the greatest chart DJ of all time and Tom Brown and other people like that. And Bates, Bates, wonderful chart, amazing chart DJ, Richard Skinner, Mark Goodyear, of course, on the commercial side, David Jensen before Fox. So I'd always admired the chart DJs and how they did it and, and made it sound so simple and effortless and respected the music whilst they were doing it as well. But of, co- of course, timings are all involved in that as well. But I loved it. It was it was amazing to do. And I did it with Katie Hill for the first year or so. And yeah, just very blessed and lucky to have done it for three and a half years. A very different kind of version of you, though, doing a chart. Yeah, because I'd, I'd be on Galaxy doing the breakfast show on Monday to Friday, really pushing boundaries, really going for it. And I was told because... It, Hit 40 UK was essentially run by committee. So you'd got all of the big group programme directors from commercial radio and they all had a say in, in who did the chart. And, and I was told at one point to lose my northern accent 
Now, it's a Yorkshire accent. It's not as if I'm proper, you know, proper Barnsley where I'm from. So I used to be on air on a Sunday, you know, rounding off my accent a little bit. And then I'd get on air on a Monday and people are texting going, I heard you yesterday, what are you putting a posh voice on for? And I said, well, they told me to. <laughs> but I'd tell them on air, I was told to do it. You've got to play the game. It's a big gig. There's 7 million people listening. Did it feel like you were living the dream? Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it did. I couldn't believe it, actually. I still look back and think, did that really happen? Did I end up, does it, does it go David Jensen, Dr. Fox and then me? Because I can't quite wrap my head around that because I'm a, I'm a radio nerd. I've always loved radio. So to be able to sit there and, and do that chart and, you know, I came off the chart, not because I was no good at it, because it, it was political, essentially, you know, EMAP at the time had not taken the chart for a couple of years so they'd taken, they'd created the Smash It's chart. So once Mark had left, Mark Goodyear had left Radio 1, they created the Smash It's chart, Mark presented that. And I think commercially that was a decision that, that made them a bit more cash. And then that didn't quite work out. I think they were resting the Smash It's brand. So they were coming back to the network chart, which meant in Yorkshire, which our show was incredibly dominant and number one in, in, in all demographics, they didn't want a percentage or, or a portion of their audience being taken away having me on the station, you know, whereas Monday to Friday, I'm really giving their breakfast shows a run for their money, big style. So they didn't want me on Hallam Air and Viking, essentially. So I was given a choice. You've got to kind of do the chart or do or do Galaxy. And although it's 40 songs and, and there is a skill to be able to do a chart, it's not easy. It's harder than you think. But I found it's the creative side of radio that I loved more than just playing 40 songs I liked the constant and I think that's one thing I miss about doing breakfast is I miss the kind of the 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 team thing where we all kind of get together and chuck a load of ideas into a melting pot or you know one thing can be said or a listener can text something in and and that just gives you instant content and and that's the one thing I do miss about doing breakfast and the fact that just one idea can just take you off on a complete tangent and can change months of the show. We did a thing called Hey Yorkshire, which wasn't our idea. It was a listener's idea, but it came off the back of, I got an instrumental of Adele and someone like you. So I did a Yorkshire version just off the back of the song. I just blended it in live and went, never mind, I'll find someone like thee. And then from that, (laughs) Danny and Giorgio picked up and they continued singing it. And someone said, oh, you should do a, a version of Hey Porsche by Nelly called Hey Yorkshire. We went, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, great. Write some lyrics, send it in. That was it. Completely forgot about it. Two weeks later, the listener went, have you done that Hey Yorkshire thing? I went, oh, you didn't send any lyrics in. And then at the end of the show, we had a kind of show debrief and they said, actually, let's, let's write it ourselves. So I went and sourced the music. Danny and Jojo went into another studio and wrote the lyrics. And then they came back in and I produced it all and multi-tracked it. I've always loved, as I mentioned earlier, the studio. Kenny Everett's my hero. And I've always loved how you can just, you know, pull all of these bits together and produce. I've always been technically gifted. So whether it was getting two tape machines and recording your voice on one whilst playing that back into another, then adding another voice or editing, physically cutting quarter inch tape. Or I bought one of the first Sadie editors back in 1997 that cost me three grand. So I've always been into tech and and learning how to use, you know, equipment. And and I love getting stems. That's changed the way we DJ live now. The fact that, you know, stem 
removal live. I used Serato to DJ with and just being able to take vocals out. And it's, it, 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 I just love tech and, and how you can use that to be creative. What followed the chart and going back to Galaxy? What, what came next? Well, we changed from Galaxy to Capital because we were bought by Global, of course, when Chris Wright sold Chrysalis to Global. And then I continued at, at, at Capital until 2014, quite, quite happily. Everything was great. I think if I look back, I wish I'd left earlier. I wish I'd left sooner. I did get itchy feet in around 2007, 2008. I'd been there since 2003 because traditionally I would move stations every two years. I was always, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Where are we going to next? What am I going to do next? How can I conquer somewhere else? Whereas I'd ended up with this big, massive show. It was huge. Something like 1.4 million listeners. It was just massive. And maybe I should have gone to Capital, London, maybe. But that at the time was a very unsteady ship, completely unsteady. There was lots of people coming and going. So I thought, well, I've got it quite good in Yorkshire at Capital, I'll stay there. And then obviously I made a massive life change and then stopped. And then the career stopped. Did it have to? No, it didn't have to. It didn't. I don't think you can do a breakfast show daily whilst going through what I went through, which has been well documented. So I think it it, it, it was sensible to pause and just take a, a, a beat. Why didn't you do it on air? Well, I did announce it on air. I did announce it on Five Live, which gave me the space. I think doing it the way I did it with with Stephen Nolan on Five Live, that gave me the opportunity to just talk. And we recorded 49 and a half minutes. And they, they literally, there's a pickup in it where I literally trip over a word and I do it again. And they didn't even take that out. It's literally what we started recording a day before is what they transmitted on the Saturday night. And then they ran it again in its entirety the day after as well. So I just don't know whether I would have had the space on breakfast to do it. I'm not sure if it, it that never felt right. But it, it crossed my mind several times just to say it. Because I talked about having facials and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I'm assuming everyone that's listening to this knows what we're talking about. If not, Google it. <laughs> I remember listening to to the Stephen Nolan interview on on the night it went out. Oh, really? Yeah. And knew you, and that's why I ask about, because you have always been such an open book on the radio. Yeah, yeah. That's why I ask now, because I've always been curious as to why the journey wasn't part of the listening experience. It did cross my mind to, to talk about, and I'll save you Googling it, transitioning. And it did cross my mind to do it, but I just... I said it without saying it. So, you know, some of the jingles, some of the, 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 we had Patrick Allen, the legendary Patrick Allen, who was our show voice to start with. Then he became really unwell. Then Peter Dixon, before the X Factor, he, he did a version, he did a sound alike and then got the X Factor. So we ended up having the X Factor voice at its height. And then the amazing Trish Bertram, who was continuity on LWT. I wanted to really shake things up a little bit. So I brought Trish in because she had a very dominant voice. Some of the jingles said it. I always talked about having facials, very effeminate on the air sometimes. So I think to some people it didn't come as a massive shock. (laughs) DJ. DJ.
you think you changed as a broadcaster? Yes. I met with one of my longest friends, a guy called Neil Rudd today. And I sat in on my very first radio show when I was 16. I sat in for him. We ended up talking about this because it doesn't really come up with friends anymore, really. And we ended up talking about it. And I think I don't realise how big a deal it was until now, until I've had, I've had like a decade of distance between, it's it's almost a decade. And I think to change as a broadcaster and to find my voice, you know, I, I, I'd plateaued, I'd got to a point where it just wasn't, it didn't sound right. And that's why the phone wasn't ringing. And I always credit a wonderful woman at BBC Radio Manchester called Kate Squire. She put me back on the air. She was the only person to put me back on and I wasn't very good. And she gave me a Saturday night show on BBC Radio Manchester. I listen back to every show that I've ever done because I'm always, I just, I just want to get better if I can. It's still, I've been doing it for 30 years, but I still want to improve. So I'd listen back to the show and I'd just go, this is just not right. And I'd write down the links verbatim. And I would give them to my speech therapist and sit in her surgery, doing them word for word again. And it just plateaued. The voice wasn't right. And as you know, the voice is everything. And I would drive home in tears at what I heard. And then I, one night I was just Googling because I, I heard they could do feminizing vocal surgery. And I found the guy that invented it in Korea. So I booked a flight and I was off. And 15 grand later, he tightened my vocal folds. And this is what you hear now, what comes out. I'm a little bit hoarse, actually, because I'm just recovering from a chest infection, (coughs) which I've been prone to getting since I was little. But this allowed me to not feel trapped. I felt like I was inside a box. I felt like vocally I could only go in certain areas. I couldn't laugh anymore because it came out really fake. It just, I couldn't do impressions anymore. I couldn't, and I was literally really limited to this small box, this small area I found myself in. I always felt like I had to place the voice. It just wasn't authentic. And as as you well know, and, and people have talked about on this, and Nikki Horn was talking about this, the fact that they the listener can smell people that are not authentic on the air. And if you're not your true authentic self, listeners can tell. And it, it broke my heart that I'd, I'd tried to master the game of getting from one song to another and all of that. But when I transitioned and I found myself on the air, I just felt like I was, it wasn't real. I felt like I couldn't, I could, I was trying to be me, but vocally I couldn't, it, it wouldn't come out because I was trying to place it and use my head voice instead of my chest voice and it destroyed me. So actually, I'd, I'd finally become comfortable in my own skin. But actually, when it came to being myself on the air, I couldn't do it anymore. So I was heartbroken and the phone wasn't ringing. I just got this one gig a week that was priceless to me. So I found myself in a position where, well, I either do this or I'm, I'm screwed. And there was a 30 to 40% chance I might lose my voice or be hoarse for the rest of my life. So I'm, I'm knackered. I need, to, I need to do this. So I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want anyone to judge me on what they heard going, oh, it doesn't sound any different. Well, I know it does because I never get misgendered on the phone. I was doing something recently. I was covering on Greatest States and 
we were doing Free Play Friday where, you know, you call back a listener who wants a, one of their songs on. And I called this guy back and I was depping. So, you know, I wasn't the usual voice. And I said, hi, it's Steph at Gracie Sits Radio. I'm just calling you about your song. And he went, oh, you're the lady on the radio. And he didn't know what he'd done but he made my day because all he heard on the radio was a woman on the radio. That's all he heard. For anyone that's known me, you've got previous. Although people have forgotten what I used to sound like, which is kind of good. But those words that he said, and I've kept the call, the call's kept. But that happened several times when I was at the BBC, when I was at Radio Leeds, you know, people would message in going, oh my God, I never knew your story. I've just Googled you to see what you look like. And I never knew. So I'm like, brilliant. Because they they didn't listen to that. that. That audience was much older on BBC Local Radio. They didn't listen to me on Capital or Galaxy. So that changed. And that was just, every time someone says that to me, it's like I've won the lottery. It's the best feeling in the world. Because it worked. And then the phone started to ring. And then work started to arrive again. And I could finally, I could finally be myself. And do you think you're back to being your creative self? Oh, without doubt, yeah, without doubt. So occasionally, Depp for Fleur, who, who does Hits Breakfast, when when the rest of the team's off, I don't do it, but when, when Flair is off, I sit back in with the team. And that's wonderful. Like, you know, I don't know if I want to do breakfast again because I did it for 15 years. It's getting, as you well know. <laughs> yep. As you well know, you know, it's, 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 it's beautiful being on at that time. It's beautiful yes. being on first thing in the morning. You get very close to your audience you do. Of, you in do. the mornings. Yeah. But you never, when people say, oh, how, how do you do it? You never get used to the hours. No, you never do. It's, it's, it, can, it can break you. And I don't know if I want to do that again, but if it was the right thing, I guess, maybe I, I would. You know, I just, but I've, I've, you know, I public speak for a living full time and, and do radio on a weekend now. So I'm very fortunate that, and that all happened from DJing in my kitchen, from literally, DJing, when Facebook Live first appeared and and the algorithms were working in our favour because they wanted us to use it. And I was getting 30 to 40,000 people watching it. And across the week, I'd leave it up, the video, and it'd get 100k views across the week. And then my friend Steve Taylor at uh, Tetley, who's affectionately known in the industry, he said to me that we're we're starting a, a, a Hits Radio Pride station would you do belters on that? And he'd, he'd mentioned it to the wonderful Paul Gerrard. And, and they went, yeah, let's let's do an hour of belters. And then from that, I ended up doing it on the network. And then that got me back in. So, I, you know, it's, it's, I've ended up back, you know, on a national station, which is, which is yeah, I, I knit myself every time I walk into the building. I'm so lucky. You're glowing, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I never took it for granted back in the day. I never, I never did. I never, I always thought it was a, an honour to do this. And, and a privilege because I'm a nerd. We're all nerds, all of us. Yeah, it's true. I still absolutely love it. Perhaps I love it more than I ever have all these years later. I think as you get older, you start to really, you start to be thankful for what you've got even more so because when you're working your way up, you're hungry. You're like, I want the next thing. I want, like I was saying earlier, I want the next thing. I want the next thing. I want, where's the next gig? Where am I going to next? Whereas, you know, when you get older, you're more like, I'm still getting away with this. I'm very lucky to be, to be able to do this. Thank you so much. So I, I never, ever take it for granted. And, and everyone at Bauer has just been amazing, you know. Looking back now and, and where you're at now, which bits of the radio do you think you love most? I think when the, 
the old show, Hersey's Daily Dose, was at its peak and it was, it's effortless. I mean, there was very little planning involved in that show at all. I had some incredible producers along the way. But when we just opened the mics and we riffed and we knew each other instinctively, we did all of that role definition right at the start and we just knew, I'd see something in the paper that I knew would antagonise Danny. I just knew, I just, so I'd save that. That'd be my 810. So I'd just, I just, I, I wouldn't tell him beforehand and he would literally go off like a firework. So there's my 810 sorted. The rest of it was just... And it wasn't about us, it's about the audience. Greg James said this, it's about the audience, isn't it? You know, it's, it's not all about us, the audience. It's, it's, it's the things that they come in with and then we can add little bits on top. So we're just the facilitators of gluing all this stuff together. Yeah, we'll have some anecdotes and stories and everything. But all of that, when that show was running at its... And I, I don't, I, it's one of those shows that's in the past and I don't want to, we had a reunion in January and people were saying, oh, you're going to get back together. No, there's, there's, there's no new album. There's no new single. There's no new, there's no world tour. It's just, a, you know, we just, we just got together and Jojo said when we shared the photo of us together, well, you've given the internet what it wants. I think the photo within a couple of hours had had 16K likes or something. So I loved that. That was amazing. Char was was wonderful, and but just those early Chris, those early days at Radio Air when I when I did my first shows, just being in that that studio that that I I'd, I'd always said to myself, believe, achieve, believe, achieve, believe, achieve, that I want to be on that radio station. I knew at nine I was going to do it, and then just being in that studio, and then still now when I do Greatest Hits, the Yorkshire regional opt out of it, and I do it in that very studio where I did my first show when I was sixteen. Is so, it? Yeah, it's magical. It's just, it's wonderful. I love it. What about the buzz then? You've kind of broadly answered that question, I guess. The buzz of being on, on is, is walking into a studio, is, is being in the box. Tony Blackburn talked about this, didn't he, CIO? Yes. Thank you. You're so impressive. But Blackburn mentioned, you know, when he was doing shows from home, it's not the same. We can VT, it's great. And I, I, I love Zeta when it works. <laughs> Although I said to my friend recently, I said, um, do you really feel like you've got a grip of a radio show anymore? Because everything's in the hands of a playout system. And he said to me, yeah, it's a bit like my skybox when it goes a bit wonky. You need to unplug it for a minute, don't you? And count to 60 <laughs> and then plug it back in again. I remember once looking over the shoulder of a scene in with um, a DJ on Radio Nottingham, you know, you talk about all the different elements that used to be in a studio. So yeah, he'd be, yeah. he'd spin back tape on a reel to reel. He'd be playing in carts, obviously, and always had the echo fader. Just have the echo, just a little bit. Yeah, just, just there. a bit. There, when I do my VTing, I have it on. I just stick it there. And do you adds know what it hits? Sex. Yeah, it adds a bit of sex. It hits. I've asked them. There is an echo machine there, but it's been used for an OS or it's been used for an outside source, the fader. So I can't use it for something for whatever reason. It's been overpatched. But I always, I always insisted in every studio, I want some echo because even if I don't use it, I would use it for effect or something. I'd, I'd you know, to create, I, I like tools around me. I've always loved it. They're not crutches. It's just like, you know, if you ask a carpenter to, to, to make you something. They will want the correct tooling to be able to, to, to put it together for you. So it's only like that in a radio studio. I just want my bits. What about your symbol? 
the symbol's in the corner. The symbol is over there. So there's the splash symbol. The the splash symbol is. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jump to go get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, get it. Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. Here we go. <laughs> Without an echo. Um. So I um. <laughs> What a moment. <laughs> oh, God. The stuff I've got around me. I've got a ghetto blaster, a cymbal, and I found my first ever vinyl as well, um, which is Baggy Trousers by Madness. That's the, one of the things that started it all for me. I found that. Not a proper job, is it? It's, it's not a proper job, is it? It's, it's a bloody cymbal. I went into Fox's music. I went through every single cymbal telling a joke. And said to the person, the guy that was serving me, I was like, right, which one of these is funniest when I do it? I had like 10 jokes lined up and I went through every splash symbol. He went, that one. Great. Cowboy walks into a German car showroom. Audi. Sorry. So. <laughs> Sorry. I think it might be time to enter the, the box of questions, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Moving swiftly on, kids. Five picks from 45 in this record box at my side here. All the questions are on 45 Steve's. I'll dip in. You just shout out when, I, when you want me to pull one out. Oh, look at that. That's a BBC programme box. It's not a BBC programme box. Don't know what you're talking about. With stickers on it. <laughs> <laughs> that sticker there that says how to DJ is not covering up a BBC logo. It's not at all. I've had this box, same one, since I was like 16. And it's got a gazillion radio stations. It's done every show with me. We're twinning. Oh, dear me. The job in hand. Yes. Keep going through them and I'll tell you when. When. It's a real box and there's real 45 covers and they've got questions on. I've always wondered what it looked like. <laughs> what is the measure of a successful DJ? The measure of a successful DJ is... It's something I was told at hospital radio before I got kicked out for running the phone bill up. It's be yourself. It's just be authentic. Be your. And when I couldn't be authentic, that was the worst thing in the world for me because I really struggled. And being authentic and being true helps the listener connect with you. It's it's one-to-one, -one, but also, as I mentioned earlier, it's knowing your craft, know how the studio works. I remember seeing another guest of yours, Carl Cox. I was DJing in Magaluf in the 90s. <laughs> was that like Peak Hurst? Yeah, Peak Hurst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peak Hurst. Yeah. Magaluf. <laughs> I, did my, I did make it to Ibiza. <laughs> so classy. Was it Poco Locos? Uh, no, it was the BCMs. Oh, ooh, okay. And Carl Cox was on and he was there and he'd got five Technics SL1200s. And I remember standing there at the side of the DJ stand going, oh my God. And at one point it got all five turntables going. And I just watched in awe because I've always loved to DJ in live. I've always, I've always DJed in, you know, in pubs and clubs throughout my, my dad always said to me, you know, if radio doesn't work or radio, you know, the rug is pulled from beneath you, have something to fall back on. So I always worked in, I, I'd worked my way up into massive clubs and did all that stuff and learned how to mix and scratch. And I remember at one point when CDJs first arrived, I used to carry around extension power leads and extension phono leads. 
because I used to, I like standing on the DJ stand and picking the CDJ up and putting it on my thigh and scratching with it and extended (laughs) the leads. That was part of the act. Then I used to crowd surf. (laughs) So to being a successful DJ, it's knowing your craft. If you're doing radio, be authentic. The audience can smell inauthenticity. Whereas if you're a live DJ, you know, I talked about Serato and Stems earlier and there's so many things you can do now DJing live. It's it's phenomenal. I love it. I really love it. And I'm still hungry to this very day. Is there also the whole like put on a show? Yeah. Yeah. Put on a show. It's show business after all, isn't it? You know, if you just if you're just rocking up and prep, you know, I do prep, but I don't over prep. I don't know what I'm going to say always. And I think that's the fun. I play chicken with myself. So I will sit and watch the countdown on the song going, no idea what I'm saying next. No idea. And then all of a sudden something happens. It, and I spoke to a, a neurologist about this when I was on the BBC and he said, it's fight or flight. You literally, you know, you know, you've got to do something. The subconscious kicks in all of a sudden and you could probably do your best bit of the show. So if you've never done it, play chicken with yourself on the radio. See what happens. Be your kiss. Enjoy. <laughs> and get yourself an echo chamber. And, and a symbol. <laughs> um, back into the box for question two. Oh, go oh. on. <laughs> Such a nerd. Come on. Oh, sorry. Go. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Uh, what's the most famous you've ever felt? The most famous I've ever felt. Um... We once did at Viking, we did these party in the park things and it was rebranded as Feel the Noise Live for some reason. And there was 75,000 people in East Park in Hull. And we ended it with Robbie Williams and Angels, the instrumental version, which I sung and everyone sung along. And I think that is when I felt this this is as close as you're going to get to being a pop star or a rock star on stage. And also, do you know, it's, People come up and they they say they like what you do. And I don't I don't look for that. And I but when it happens, someone sends a nice email or someone sends a nice Facebook or Instagram message or someone's kind on Twitter. It's nice and it makes you feel like, well, I must be doing something right. It's working. Whatever I'm doing is working. So I'll give them more of that. Another question from the box. Oh, please go in. Go in, go in, go in. <laughs> in. I'll hit the symbol when to stop. <laughs> I feel like you should have done another gag there before. I should have done actually. I really should have. I told my mum about the theatre. She went, "You having me on?" I said, "I'm not promising anything, but I'll give you an audition." <laughs> oh, sorry. I think I can't remember now if you've answered this already or not. But the next question is: How much planning do you do? Um. I was on air last night. I went through my log. I marked some songs that I thought might be interesting to talk about some of those or, or just some information. So I'll do some uh, just from, from memory as well. If I've, because I, the show that I do on it, I do Saturday nights, 10 to 1, which is Belters, all night is the naughty's done stuff. And then Sunday evenings, the throwback, which is tunes from the 90s right up to probably two years ago or something like that. So I'll, I'll mark out some songs that, you know, there might be something that I can remember about that. That's the kind of prep that I do, but it depends what show it is. Whereas Belters, in fact, here's a log, actually. Here's 
one of the logs from Belters. I am lucky and privileged that I schedule this show every single week and I pick every single song that I play on a Saturday night. Now, that's a rarity in commercial radio. It really is. But I'm trusted and they allow me to do it because I'm not an idiot. I, I, I've always been fascinated with, with keeping the dance floor busy, essentially. And with a radio, when I'm imagining, you know, the audience, I want the dance floor busy. I will spend three to four hours on, on belters on a Saturday night. So lots of prep, making sure the segs are right as well. If something doesn't sit right, when I'm segging it up, I'll move that around. It's having the versatility to, to be able to, you know, craft that show in a particular way. So they all match and it flows well. I love that. That's that, that for me, that is prep. Back into the box. Please. For yeah. Your fourth question. Stop. When do you wish you'd said no? Gosh, that's a tough question. There was one time where Danny was working on the show, was going off on one about a boiler company. And that got us into a lot of trouble. He was His boiler kept blowing up and he had a meltdown on air. And I, it was so spectacular, I didn't stop him. And I should have stopped him because we got suspended. Did you? Yeah, we got suspended for that. And that was, right, and rightly so, listening back. But it was one of those moments in time where you just... He was, he was going off on one and it was quite, I was like, all right, okay, what's going on here? But then I did, I, I eventually did stop it, but I think it was too late. But yeah, that got us suspended. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Um, <laughs> final question from the box. I'm dipping in. Go on. Dipping in. And stop. <laughs> if you weren't a DJ, what would you be? If I wasn't a DJ, what would I be? I'd always wanted to go into the police force. I'd always, I'd always fancied that when I was younger, when I was a child. Would you still want to be a cop? No, not now. I'm too old. But I always wanted to be a detective. I can always work out who's done it when I'm watching some crime drama. Yep, they've done it. And I'm <laughs> usually, nine times out of ten, I'm that, usually right. <laughs> that doesn't make you an actual detective. It does. <laughs> I can work okay. it out. I know what's happening. <laughs> All of the moss and all of the all of the frost I ever watched. Yeah, done it, sorted. I always know what's going to happen on the Corey Christmas special. Yeah, <laughs> yes. How do I join? How do I join? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Sign me up now. Get me in. I think, yeah, I think I, if I wasn't a DJ, if I wasn't on the radio or anything like that, I would, I would want to. Or I might have been a producer. I enjoy, yeah. I enjoy... Helping the next generation, Danny Myler, who has just won a gold aria for his breakfast show with Rose, uh, Myler and Rosie on Pulse One. I mentored him from being 15. Joel Mitchell, who's been doing stuff at Radio One, mentored him as well. And there's a guy called Alec Feldman, who's on hits at the moment, who's just coming through the ranks. And he's, he's proper future talent there with Alec. So, you know... There's some incredible, incredible talent out there, which I, I just love. Pippa Morgan, who I came across her, and she was doing a demo factor thing with a, with Student Radio. Now she's she went to Capital as as a producer, and now she's producing Sam Thompson's Hits UK show on a, on an evening. And even she was great. Her demos that she sent me, she was fantastic. So I love, I love 
new talent and I, I get a real kick out of helping them and, and, and mentoring them and steering them in the right direction. I, I love that because I was fortunate to work with people who did that, you know, with with me. And I've had some wonderful bosses over the years, a guy called Steve Martin, not the actor, who was at the Pulse, who he played me Kenny Everett tapes. You know, people like Mike Cass, who, who just gives the best hugs, but just really, really, really got the best out of me as a broadcaster. A guy called Stuart Baldwin, who I worked at, I'm name dropping, there's going to be people I've forgotten, but... These people got the best out of me and and they helped me find my way. And I still look for that now. I still look, you know, for for help and guidance because every one of us can always get better. And if you sit in the same little area doing what you do, that's dangerous. You've got, I mean, I've taken reinvention to the extreme, to be honest. But I I, I like to constantly evolve and, and try new things and you know, I hope that I'll always be on the air till the day I die. I, I find it, you know, look how this industry's changed over the past decade, you know, but I love the fact that anything is possible in this industry and radio is more alive than ever. So I'm, I'm very fortunate still to be doing this job and I still want to, I want to be on the air till the day I die. Whoa. And I do, I do. I never want to, I never want to stop because it's a, it's an, it's an honour and a privilege. Awesome human being. Oh, bless you. Likewise. Stephanie, I've got one last question for you. It's the end of the world and you have to play the last three records on earth. What would those three records be? See, I'm thinking in my head there'd be a great big party and I think I might bring everyone down with these. Not everyone down, but I want people to reflect a little bit. So, Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Much more than I never knew, and I think to myself, What a wonderful world! Yes, I think to myself, What a wonderful. Into, in my life, not by the Beatles, same song, but by Sean Connery. Now, there's a version that George Martin, uh, George Martin's final album, because his ears were failing. I'm a massive Beatles fan. George's ears were failing. And he produced one album with lots of his favourite artists. Like Billy Connolly did Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. And it's wonderful. It's called In My Life, the album. And there's a pair of Bayer DT100 headphones on the cover. It's a white cover. It's worth looking up. I'm not sure if it's on streaming, actually. But Sean Connery does this version where it's spoken word of In My Life. And it's just oh, amazing, spine tingling. But of all these friends and lovers, there is no one compares with you. And these memories lose their meaning. When I think of love as something new. Though I know I'll never lose affection 
for people and things that went before. I know I'll often stop and think about them. In my life, I'll love you more. And then, I don't know if I can have this, but technically it, it's it, it's the last half of Abbey Road. So, Golden Slumbers carry that weight in the end. <laughs> make it last. <laughs> just make it last. So all of that together, just, just rolling, and I'll give him a big, big send-off with a great big drum solo from Ringo. Stephanie, thank you so, so much. This is the wrap-up bit now, and I'm thinking that um, maybe you can do a symbol and a bit of echo as I say thank you, or maybe, okay? Yeah, of course I can. I'm going to so, so basically... Symbol's not had enough use this in recent years. Just uh, <coughs> put your production head on. I'm going to say, Stephanie Hurst, thank you so much, and that was How to DJ. Stephanie Hurst. Oh, no, how would it work? Uh, I go, yes. <laughs> All right. And that was how to DJ. Can we just leave all this in? Yeah. <laughs> the rehearsal. <laughs> you know. I know. <laughs> right. Stephanie Hurst. Chris Hawkins. That was how to DJ. How to DJ. <laughs> how to DJ. How to DJ. Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from. Do you know what? I'm not going to have the last word. I'm going to let him have the last word. Not off.